0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever it is you're listening from. My name is Bev Chahonyo, this is Beverly Speaks, and we are in Season 2! I'm so excited, I can hardly contain myself. I'm literally dancing in my seat right now. So, (laughs) welcome back, for those of you guys who've been following for a while. uh, I missed you guys. Uh, The break was much needed and well-deserved, and... Uh, I feel like I've grown even in the few weeks that I haven't um, engaged with you. Uh, But I'm back because, you know, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. So the end of the rest period means that uh, I'm better. And the beginning of this new season means that we are back. So season one was mainly about discovering self, about becoming, about um, just understanding who... I was, and in so doing, as I took you along on that journey, you guys began to understand who you were. And as I thought about it and prayed about it, I was like, What is season two going to be about? And season two is about lessons of survival, it's about people who have overcome uh a lot and who have come out better who have come out to inspire and who have come out um not bitter but just stronger and that's what season two is about so we'll be um we've dubbed it i have dubbed it story time because we'll be telling stories uh here we go this is story number one in season one, I talked about an amazing, amazing, amazing man in my life, my brother, my only biological brother. He's here today with us, and I would like to introduce you to Sydney. He's my younger brother, but I'm really the baby, and everybody knows that, so everyone is fine with that. He is um, a husband to one wife. He is a father to two little girls um, at the moment. More will come. And I know he may be rolling his eyes. His wife, when she listens to this, may roll her eyes as well. But this is my desire. And it's my podcast, so I can speak it. He is a YALI alumni, a Mandela Washington fellow. He is a a CPA. No, no, he's giving me the evil eye. Okay, so I'm putting in things. So I'm going to just stop here and let him introduce himself or just rather say hi. You'll learn, you'll get to know him as we go along. Hi, Sydney. Hi, Bev. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Beverly Speaks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being my first official guest on the entire Beverly Speaks, in the history of Beverly Speaks. I am
1: completely honored. You are
0: completely honored. See him. He's so nice. He's not bullying me today. He's really behaving. Actually, it's me who bullies him. So, uh, stories of survival. You know why we're here. You know, and we're just going to kind of delve right into it. You are a cancer survivor. Yes, I am. Uh, Do you, are you comfortable with the phrase survivor, with the word survivor?
1: I am comfortable with it, um, but I know a lot of people um, put a negative connotation on the word survivor Mm -hmm. because it's almost like you're a victim or you're someone who needs to be helped. But survivor is something that I survived cancer, I overcame it, I conquered it. Um, So I personally have no issues with the word survivor. Um, As long as it's used in a positive way. Okay, awesome. Uh,
0: This is a question that we hadn't kind of discussed, but I'm just going to throw you right into the deep end. Is there any question that you hate being asked? What is the one thing that you hate being asked?
1: That I hate being asked? Yes. Um, I can't think of anything right now. Okay. Um, but if it, if something pops up, I'll let you know.
0: All right. So when were you diagnosed? I know, I know all this information. But for the um, for my listeners, for our audience, at how old were you when you were diagnosed with cancer?
1: I was diagnosed with cancer at the age of nineteen. Um, This is in January 2004. Mm -hmm. I just finished my O-levels in June 2003, the year before. And I would taken a bit of a break before going to the U.S. um, to pursue further studies, to get into university. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is in January 2004 when I was running around trying to get my visa, uh, which was eventually denied for, you know, other reasons. Um, But that is when I actually started having symptoms and went to the doctor and find out found out that I had cancer.
0: Okay, so being denied your visa could have been the worst thing in the world, but it turned out to be the best thing in the world in terms of that's how you were diagnosed, that's when you were diagnosed and you were at home. So that was really a blessing in disguise.
1: I don't know how I would have gone through it if I was out there by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, they say when God closes one door, he opens another one. I feel like he was protecting me from being out there by myself, sick, not knowing what to do, um getting treatment without you know my support system and my family. I feel like he was just keeping me here so that I could go through that process with them
0: okay, and I remember it was a really tough season for us because we just lost um Goku, our grandma uh, my mom's mom, we just buried her in December, and you were diagnosed a few months later, right yes um. So take us through your journey. You are 19 years old. You've just been diagnosed with cancer.
1: What goes through your mind? Um, what went through my mind was... Let me rewind to the point where I was in the doctor's office. Yeah, so, so okay. Um, so obviously before that, I had gone through various hospitals, seen very many specialists, kept being misdiagnosed. And, you know, I was able to go to the best hospitals, the Aga the Nairobi hospitals, what have you, and still kept being misdiagnosed. Mm. Uh, eventually, um, I was referred to an ENT. And even when I went there, it turns out that I used to go on the wrong days because he only goes there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the person I was sit- seeing when he wasn't there was a sit-in. And I didn't know that. So I finally chanced upon him one of those Tuesdays and uh, sat down and explained what was going on with me. And from the, from the get-go, he already knew what it was. Uh, he kept asking, did you tell everyone else this? And I'm like, yes, I did. And um, then he said, we have to do some tests. I think I know what it is, but we do have to do some tests to find out exactly what's going on with you. So I did a battery of tests, blood work, CT scans, MRIs. And then I finally went in for the appointment to you know, get my results. And I remember I was with my dad uh, in the... I went with my dad to get the results. And um, I remember the doctor telling me that uh, I have cancer, um, cancer of the post-nasal space. That's where your ear, nose, and throat meet. Um, And at that point, I kind of don't really remember most of what went on after that. Um, My memories stop at you have cancer. And I look over, I glance over at my dad, and um, I see, you know, a tear balancing in his eye. And for the longest time, this guy has been a pillar of strength for me. He was a pillar of strength. I had never seen him vulnerable. And at that moment, I looked and I saw, you know, the disbelief, the shock, the, the, you know, the, the, the shock really in his, in his face. And a tear balancing. And I've never seen, I had never seen him crying. And I think, you know, if my dad's like this, I have five sisters and then there's my mom. um, How are they going to take this news? Um, So at that point, I decided I'm going to be strong, even if it's not for myself. I'm going to be strong for uh, my family. Because at the end of the day, um, I really didn't see it as a death sentence or I'm going to die or anything. It's just, oh, my gosh, I have cancer. How's my family going to take it? I need to be strong for them. That's how I took it.
0: Wow. So first of all, you've made me choke up a little bit. I've never heard that bit where I know you looked over and you saw disbelief. I've never I, I didn't know that there were tears in his eyes. So you've made me you've made me a little bit emotional because um all right, so you're 19, you've just been diagnosed with cancer, you have decided to be strong for the rest of your family. You are the youngest of six kids and you've decided to be strong for the rest of us. Now I know you have five sisters who can tend to be dramatic a little bit. Um but you decide to be strong. You don't think of it as a death sentence. I think that's so inspiring. Um but you did mention how your memories kind of stop at that point and you don't you can't remember the rest of the conversation with the doctor at that point. So you've been detected you come home. Well, before, before you even come home, how did you feel? You've taken us through the, 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 the initial, you know those 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, however long you're in the doctor's office. Um, so then yeah, so now you come home, and everybody else is told. I remember being there when the news was given to us. What is going through your mind at that point? Are you still numb and in shock? Are you looking at everybody else's reaction to try and take care of them? Because you are a nurturer, uh, kind of. Uh, you've always been that person who took care of other people. So what's going through your mind now when the rest of us are
1: being told? To be very honest, I don't even remember you guys being told. I can't remember when we told you. I think we all sat down in, you know, in the living room and I really can't remember what went on. Um, what I can tell you is from the time that the doctor told me I have cancer... Um, the next thing I remember him saying was you know it's you know it's something that's common in East Africa uh, there's a lot of um, people who have children who have gotten it and survived I'm gonna put you in touch with a good oncologist um, he's handled these cases before luckily for you it was caught early and you're young younger people respond better to the medicine um, so I'm gonna put you in touch with this oncologist and um, he's gonna take it from there and for me it was like okay what's the plan what's the way forward okay get this meeting uh sit down with the oncologist come up with a plan to beat this thing it wasn't for me uh i think that's where my mind was i was so focused in okay now i know what the problem is we need to come up with a plan so that i can you know get past it okay
0: so i know we're going to talk a little bit about about uh you know what's what you've done in your life and you know giving back after this but i just want to go back to something you've said you said it's this particular strain of cancer is it called a strain <laughs> it
1: um not really type? a strain but the type yes, yeah this particular of
0: type. type of cancer <laughs> is common in east africa and then you said a lot of children get it so it's common in east africa and it's common in children right yes okay so let's go to our next question <laughs> so we've talked about what you what you felt when you received the news for the first time You go, let's talk about your treatment. I remember coming with you to a lot of the uh, appointments you had, especially for radiotherapy. I I was taking a gap year at that point between my undergrad and my master's, and I was home. And I remember in solidarity, I decided, you know, I was not going to drink alcohol because you couldn't drink alcohol. So we were party buddies, but I was going to stand with you. But so take us through the treatment. What course of treatment is now decided? You meet the oncologist and he's an amazing guy. Till today, I still remember him. So what course of treatment is decided?
1: Um, Before even going to the treatment, we'll go back to the oncologist. Because I think from the time we first met, he's a very easygoing, um, very humble man. um, And he was very welcoming from the beginning. Okay, and I felt like I could ask him questions. I could talk to him about stuff. And he and re- he kept reassuring me, like you know, I've dealt with these cases before. Um, um, I can put you in touch with a support group. Um, yours was caught early, so you have a good chance. Um, and it was more like the vibe I got from him also reinforced. Uh, my confidence, because I felt like fights. he was confident that we could get through this. Okay. Um, so his confidence also bolstered my confidence. Okay. And I got that vibe from him that you know we can do this. So you know, let's start our treatment. Let's do this. Um, so from there, um, we decided to go with uh radiotherapy and chemotherapy. Mm. Uh, number one, because of where it was. Um, where my ear, nose, and throat meet. They couldn't go in surgically because they would literally have to split my skull in half to get to where it was. To the tumor. Yes. So we started with radiotherapy, um, which for me, I remember, it was more like you know going in for an x-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go into hospital, uh, they put you in this machine, they strap you in, um, the machine does its thing, within 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, you're out. And I would do that daily for, um, I think, a period of about four to five months. Um, So basically, they use the radio waves to reduce the size of the cancer. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't discriminate. So the the, the, the radiation would hit both the good cells and the bad cells. And because of that, um, and because of the radioactive treatment, there were quite a lot of side effects. Um, I remember one point there was so much pressure on my brain because of the radiotherapy that um, my body was just rejecting everything um, so I was always throwing up um, I had no appetite um, you I was couldn't get- swallow <clears throat> yes I couldn't swallow because of where it was um, it was making my th- it made my throat very the radiation made my throat very sensitive so even drinking water was a problem uh, at the same time because of where it was it messed with my saliva glands so I don't have much saliva so I'm nauseated. I don't have much saliva, which makes it even more painful to swallow. Um, I think there was a period where I lost about 15 kgs in, in you know, in less than two weeks. I think it was... I remember that. Um, s- between 7 and 15 days, I lost 15 kgs. I remember because, that. It was know, so
0: scary for the rest of us.
1: Yeah, because I couldn't eat. Even when I did eat, all I was doing was throwing up. So it, 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 it was tough. But, um... At the same time, I felt like today I tell people I wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't gone through it. And I also believe that God doesn't give you something unless you can handle it. So that was the first course of treatment. Um, I've I've, I've mentioned just a few of the side effects. Um, And the second course after that, five months, I went in, did my test. They saw, you know, yes, the cancer has shrunk, but now we need to, you know, follow another course of treatment to see if you can get rid of it completely. Mm -hmm. So I was scheduled for chemotherapy, which is like, I would go in on between Monday and Thursday, Mm -hmm. and they'd give me all these different drugs um, uh, through a drip, Mm -hmm. uh, through IV. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would come out, I'd be discharged on the Thursday or the Friday, and the chemotherapy drugs are so toxic that if they continuously give them to you, um they poison your body yeah so i would have to have that three week break uh to rest and recover from the chemotherapy from the drugs Mm -hmm. and then go in again and do some tests to see whether my body was strong enough to go through the next bout of chemo they call them bouts um and um chemotherapy was the side effects were similar similar to radiotherapy but i think they were a bit more pronounced um I think there was more nausea, um, there was more pain uh, for some reason. I remember even at my point, at some point, um, all my veins went black and I used to call them tattoos because, you know, the drugs they're giving you are toxic, so they have an effect on your, your body. So one hand would go black and then, you know, they'd move on to the next hand and they'd keep looking for veins till they, you know, exhaust all the ones on your hand, go to your leg, go where... Um, so it was, it was, it was a trying time, but at the same time, I felt like I'd never, I never at any point felt like I'm going to die okay. or felt like, you know what, this is cancer. Let me just give up. I felt like, um, I could beat this thing. Mm. And if I just kept doing my treatment and staying positive, that it could happen.
0: So I remember you and I having a conversation once where you were like, I think it was one time where during the radio, you had lost so much weight, you weren't eating, and we took you into the hospital uh, to be fed intravenously. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And then you, rem- <laughs> you said, this was years later that you said, the look on our faces is what would scare you more than what you were going through because we looked like you were done.
1: <clears throat> yes. Um, I think because you guys saw the journey from the beginning, And you saw how my body deteriorated. I could see the... Hopelessness. Sadness, hopelessness, helplessness. Yeah. We can't do anything for him. We don't know what's going to happen. And I could see that even though there was hope in your eyes, you weren't necessarily sure I was going to make it through.
0: Because we were seeing... We were judging it from what we were seeing physically. And at some point, even, even from our... Even from a spiritual point, you get completely depleted because of what you see physically. Mm-hmm. So you see this in the physical realm, and then even spiritually, it's hard to have hope. So I remember for me, one of the turning points was your doctor, your oncologist, Dr. Abwo, and him having a conversation with us as a family and telling us that we need to stay positive for you. But more than anything... It was your positiveness. We would, I I remember specifically one day taking you for radiotherapy and you and I were sitting there because you had banned the folks. They were not allowed to take you for treatment because the look on their eyes was worse than me. I could kind of joke through it, uh, even though it was not really funny, but if it helped you through it, then, and I remember sitting there with you and there was this child and that, that kid was so finished, like whatever he, I think it was a little boy, he was going through was so much worse. And you and I kind of just sat there as we waited for your treatment to start. And we made silly jokes and we laughed. And I think our friendship is what kind of got us through it, because I respected you enough to still see you as a person, not just as a victim or as a a patient uh, or as a, a cancer patient, but in, it was okay to sit and laugh about silly things and knowing our sense of humor in this family we would even kind of laugh about the cancer sometimes mm-hmm. so for me that really helped but for you like what was it about the people who stayed because a lot of people didn't stay uh what was it about the people who stayed that that i'm not going to ask what kept them coming back but what was it that gave you hope with the people who stayed the, the few who surrounded you and kind of encouraged you
1: and held you up um i'd like to start by saying that cancer is a very lonely journey Mm. um i lost um i would say 90 percent of the people who i thought were my friends wow um the people who i expected to be there for to be there for me at that time um weren't just not there either they were like ah he's dying anyway or you know they'd come to see how sick is he how many months does he have left Others started rumors, yeah, I think he has AIDS, he's just going to die, this, this, that, that, blah, blah, blah. And so I really ended up with my core core people being family. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my sisters, my mom, my dad. And I really just said, you know what, I'm focusing on this cancer. These are the guys who are with me every day. They're family, they're always going to be here. People will come and go. That's life. It was sad. It was hurtful. And even those people who would have wanted to be there for me, a lot of my friends had left the country. As I told you, I was just, when I was diagnosed, I was about to leave the country to go to university. So the closest of my friends had actually left the country. Um, So I was pretty much left here, you know, with my family. Mm. And um, I would say that those are the people, you are the people who got me through it. Um, And in different ways. Because, you know, there are things I talk to you about. Yeah. There are things I talk to my dad about. There are things I talk to mom about. um, And in your own different ways, you supported me differently. Mm. Um, So you
0: pull from Mm. each person what they're able to give.
1: Exactly. And you lean on that and you take another step forward. Yes. And even going back to the question that you had asked before. And that scenario where you remember um the look on your faces when you'd come sing in the hospital and the doctor telling you to be positive. I just remember that I would always try to put on a show whenever For people us. were around. Okay. Like I could be there having a really bad day uh in the hospital, but the moment someone walks in, I'll try and smile and try and sit up. Um I'll try and show you guys that you know I'm okay. Wow. So a lot of that journey I went through, you know, with the nurses or by myself. And every time someone came in, a relative, a friend, a blah, blah, blah... I would try and show them that I'm doing okay, I'm doing fine, I'm strong, I can do this. I didn't know that. So that was another thing that I just had to Mm. do by myself... Because at the end of the day, um, no one else can go through it with you. Mm. No one else, including the doctors, can understand what you're going through. Mm. Um, When they tell you on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is the pain... Mm they don 't know what one means they don 't know what ten means yeah. they know it 's in a book somewhere and there 's a scale that you have to use to try and gauge how bad the pain is, but they 've never been through it yeah. Um, yeah. my family couldn 't really understand what I was going through, yeah. maybe they could see it physically, but they couldn 't understand it physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually mm. so I guess um, that 's one of that that, that, that that also led me back to God because I reconnected with God and started having conversations initially, you know. It was me being angry at him and uh, cursing him out and telling him how I feel about this <laughs> and why me and this, this and that, that. But eventually they became conversations and, you know, I would just talk. Like the way I'm talking to you, I'd talk to God. Mm. And um, I think that that's one of the things that helped me get through it, uh, my relationship with God, because um, it got me to look at life from a different perspective. Okay. And at the same time, it got me to... View this as just a journey, yeah. whichever way it was gonna end. Even though I never saw it ending with me dying, mm. whichever way this journey is gonna end, I'm gonna get through it. Okay, and that's where I found my hope.
0: Okay, wow. So you've kind of touched quite a bit, actually, on my next question, which is, what does what did this journey teach you about yourself?
1: Um, I feel like I can do anything I set my mind to do. Wow. I also feel like. A lot of the times, when you see things or you hear things um, physically, you see, you know you see things physically or in the physical realm or whatever you call it, mm. um, they are often not a true depiction of what's really going on. Mm. So you kind of look at, go through life life with a lens on your eyes, or mm. and the moment you go through cancer, you it's like that lens is removed and you see things differently. You start appreciating different things. Um, You start, you become, I became very humble. Um, When I finished, it was like, okay, what can I do to help people? How can I help people who are going through what I went through? Mm. Um, So for me, it was almost like a turning point in terms of, I had already laid out a plan for my life. I was going to do aeronautical engineering. I was going to build planes. Uh, That was my passion. But it completely made me look at life and be like, okay, those things are not really important. Mm. What can I do? What is important to me right now? Mm. It kind of just changed my priority list. Okay. Yes.
0: All right. Wow. All right. So, you told us about (laughs) how we reacted. So, I want to make a public apology. I've apologized over the years, but I'm going to do this again. So, one time we were kind of just hanging out and I don't know what... what what were we wrestling and then I kicked you in the throat it was completely a mistake I remember I remember you I I mean this was right after your treatment I think when you were in remission and you were still like a bag of bones like skin and bones nothing but skin and bones and I kicked you in your throat and you kind of just collapsed onto the ground and and our mother thought I had killed you so I want to make a public apology um, to you uh, and to our mother and to say I was not trying to kill you we were just kind of hanging out and yeah that's all i'm gonna say about that (laughs) please accept my apology publicly
1: apology accepted publicly this is public thank you
0: all right (laughs) (laughs) awesome so uh i'm gonna kind of put a twist on it i remember well i've no i again i know your story but for the sake of our audience uh you and your wife have known each other since you were little children in kindergarten right
1: um, not quite kindergarten, but yeah, since she were small.
0: Yes, okay. So her sister and I take full responsibility for you guys getting together. You can thank us later in cash. Thank you. However, I remember her being there. Of the people who stayed, the few people who stayed in your life, she was there. I do remember her coming to the hospital one day with her mom, I think, to visit. And she stayed as a friend. At that, at that point, you were not dating. You were just friends. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that journey, like how do you then begin to let her in and how does your journey kind of change i know this was not i didn't tell you i was going to ask you this question but i want to know
1: (laughs) what is the question
0: so how 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 did it change how did it change your view of her the fact that she was there at your worst um how did it change how you viewed her as a person? Because again, at the time you were kids, well, you you know, 19, 20 years old, you were not dating. But she's there and she it wasn't just one time she came to hospital. They kept coming to hospital to see you. Uh, and she was one of the people who st- remained in your life. So f- how did it change your view of her as a person?
1: Um, that's a bit of a hard question to answer because yes we knew each other from the time we were quite young Um, at some point i remember we were in high school together but we were never really that close Mm. or friends Mm. and i had just started getting to know her on a personal level um i would say maybe those last two years of high school Mm. obviously you know now we were in different high schools Mm. but you know i had started you know we had started texting and talking to each other and um, just getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. And that was just part of the journey Um, because, you know, we were texting, we were talking to each other and it was just one of those, you know, things that progressed. And I think she was just there at that time. Um, And I say it's difficult because I don't know how to answer your question. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that was when I was really getting to know her. Yeah. So I guess she kind of was just there at that period. Okay. And there in the So a space things kind of just aligned. To, yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. All right.
0: All right, let's t- look at our next question, which uh we will try to stick to the script. <laughs> uh what's the most important piece of advice you would give to the parents and family of a cancer patient? And in this case, we're talking about children because we're now getting to some of the things you do till today towards giving back:
1: um, I remember, if you go back to the story that you were just telling about how you kicked me.
0: <laughs> really? In the throat. You forgave <laughs> me publicly.: I did forgive
1: you. Thanks.: But it's that <clears throat> relationship that we had that we were able to joke and play and wrestle and do all those things. Um, a lot of people treat you like) um, I'm trying to say it without it being too negative. Um like you're dead. No, not like you're dead. Like you're a crystal glass that no one should drop.
0: Okay.
1: And everyone's always been like, "Okay, he's so delicate. He's so fragile." Oh, I remember once I was getting up to go get water from the kitchen and both mommy and daddy just jumped up and started running. No, it's okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm like <laughs> I appreciate the relationship you had because you made me be you you allowed me to be normal okay. to be a person okay. not to be someone who just needs to be smothered and spoiled and taken care of and shielded from abc and xyz so my first piece of advice is you have someone going through cancer your daughter your son your cousin whoever it is um this is still a person mm. he's not now in a patient box that needs to be kept on a certain shelf and not allowed to be moved from that shelf. Mm, mm. Let them be who they are. Okay. If they want to play, let them play. Mm. If they want to talk, let them play. You know, there are certain things, even though, yes, I was weak, but I wanted to stand up and physically walk myself to the kitchen to get a glass of water. Yeah. You know, because it's something I wanted to do for myself. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that the support I was getting was not enough. It was overwhelming, in fact. Mm. Um, and I appreciate all the support. But I also just wanted to do things for myself. Yeah. To be, you know, treated like a normal person. Yeah. So that's one piece of advice I would give. Treat them like a person. Okay. They're still a person. Okay. They're still the same person they were before they had cancer. Okay. With the same um, um, temperament, with the same sense of humor, mm. likes doing the same things. If I like walking, if I like being outside, you know, give me the chance to be outside. Okay. Even though I'm weak, you know, make it happen.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um. All right. So you've talked a little bit about what the term survivor means to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've talked about how you are an overcomer, mm-hmm. uh, how you battled it and you won and you came out on the other side. How are you, what are you doing to honor your journey?
1: Um. I'll go back a little bit. Um, and yes, we talked about the word survivor. And you asked me if I like being called a survivor. Um, I, I, I think that a lot of people misunderstand the term survivor because they feel it's like, you know, I just made it through, um, and, you know, I'm struggling to get through life and, you know, I'm a, a case that needs to be, you know, handled with care. That's not what a survivor is. Mm. I've made it. I'm still here. I'm mm. still standing. Mm. I'm stronger than ever before.
0: Amen to that.
1: And that so is can the I kind of you survivor. You can kick me in the neck if you can. <laughs> I'm just gonna call Mami and tell her. Oh, wow. Um. So it's it, it it's not. A, oh my gosh. This is this frail person who's been through this journey and is so, you know, sensitive. No. I'm a survivor. I'm stronger now. Having gone through cancer than I was before I went through it. Mm. Um. So it's a positive thing for me. Okay. It's uh. I am a better version of me now than I was before. Mm yes okay so back to your question which
0: was (laughs) what are you doing to honor
1: your journey um after going through cancer you kind of look at life from a different perspective you start to appreciate certain things like being able to taste yeah
0: um,
1: being able to you know having saliva being able to swallow without having a glass of water next to you Mm. um Being able to shower without, you know, being scared that, you know, you're going to fall down. Collapse uh, because you're so weak. and hurt yourself in the bathtub. Exactly. Um, So I kind of started looking for different ways to give back. Mm. Because I feel like I was, you know, I'm here for a reason. God gave me another chance. Mm. What is this other chance? What am I going to do with myself? Mm. Uh, One of the things that I am doing right now is I work with an organization called Hope for Cancer Kids.
0: Hope for Cancer Kids.
1: Um, it's a charitable organization that raises funds to support kids from less privileged backgrounds. Okay. People who cannot afford the cost of cancer, because cancer is a very expensive disease. The cost of the treatment. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, what we do is we raise funds, we register them for NHIF, the National Hospital Insurance Fund. Mm-hmm. And then once we have registered and paid their monthly premium, Mm. the government then covers most of the chemotherapy and radiotherapy um, in public hospitals. Mm. Across Um, Kenya. Yes, across Kenya. Um, So what I started doing initially, I'm like, okay, now I've gone through this cancer thing, what can I do? I started volunteering at Kenyatta National Hospital, which is our biggest referral hospital in the country. Mm. And is the only place where people can get comprehensive cancer care in a public hospital Mm. because they are the only public hospital with a radiotherapy machine Wow! so 70 I mean everybody who needs radiotherapy um, and is going to a public hospital is referred to Kenyatta hospital
0: in the entire country in the
1: entire country and um so i started volunteering there and i was put in the kids i asked to be put in the kids uh, pediatric oncology ward the kids cancer ward mm. and it is through that journey that i just began to see what number one that you know children do get cancer mm. number two that they need a lot of support yeah uh because you find that a lot of the time they come from up country they are here in nairobi um The lucky ones have maybe their mom, their primary caregiver, with them, staying with them in the hospital. Some of them don't. The moms have to go back and work or take care of the other kids and keep coming back and forth from the hospital. And you find that, number one, cancer, as I said, is a lonely journey. You're isolated from Family. family, from friends, from school, from your whole system of life as you know it. Yeah. So these kids are kind of just there in the hospital getting treatment. And kids are the most resilient, the strongest... People I've ever met. No one can handle cancer like a kid can. Oh wow. And I started interacting with those kids, playing with them, and I realized that they started taking um a certain liking to me. Yeah, you're good with Uh, kids. And one of the nurses pulled me aside and told me, you know, these kids really like you because you're some form of continuity. Yeah. Because everything else in their life has stopped. Yeah their friends are still going to school they are not in school their family is still going on with life mommy is still working daddy is still working kids are uh, my brothers and sisters are still in school I'm stuck here in the hospital mm. so they liked me being there because I was there for a long period of time Yeah, and I used you to go Monday to, to Friday yeah. uh, for almost 5-6 months mm. and it gave them that sense of hope yeah. oh he's coming back because yeah. most people go have a nice big party for them take uh, pictures, leave them a lot of goodies take pictures post them on social media and you never see them again yeah uh, so I started volunteering there And I just fell in love with the kids, number one They're so sweet Secondly, I realized the needs that, you know, they had um, Financially, uh, physically Some of them would be waiting to go for an x-ray Because the nurses are really overwhelmed mm. um, The healthcare about system Maybe two or three especially nurses Especially in that ward Yes Maybe two or three nurses taking care of 20, 30 kids uh, some of them have to go for doctor's appointments. Some of them have to go for X-rays. Um, some of their lab tests need to be gotten from the lab. And it's it's it's. Kenya National Hospital is a wonderful hospital, mm. but I just believe that, they are overwhelmed with numbers because yeah. they are the only hospital that can treat cancer comprehensively. So public the numbers, hospital, yeah. yes, public hospital. So the numbers there are just. Ridiculous. Yeah. And they can only do so much. Yeah. Um, so that is when i f- I was introduced to Hope for Cancer Kids through being in the Cancer Ward. Mm-hmm. And as we speak, I'm the board chair of Hope for Cancer Kids. The chairman um, of the board. I've been there mm. since um I think I've been with Hope for Cancer Kids since twenty eleven. Yeah. Um and that is basically what I'm trying to do trying to give these kids a fighting chance trying to give them an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't have Mm. because they come from very um, low income backgrounds they cannot even afford the 500 shillings um, that it takes um, which is
0: approximately five dollars yeah five dollars
1: that mm. it takes to pay the monthly premium so that the government can cover their cancer treatment Mm. so that is how badly you know these families are doing financially and then they get cancer and they end up selling assets borrowing money getting into more debt getting into extreme poverty some even abandoning the children families breaking up Um, so there's a lot of things that especially um, psychosocial support Mm. their psychology the family psychology has changed Uh, the family dynamics have changed Mm. there's a lot of Yes, there's treatment, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, all these th- other types of therapies, surgery. But there's also that psychological aspect that is be- rarely dealt with. Yeah. And um, that is one thing that needs to be improved in this country. But yes, basically, um, I-, I give a lot of my time towards Hope for Cancer kids. Mm. and um, On a
0: voluntary basis, I just need to add that.
1: Yes, on a voluntary basis. Mm. And we try to support as many kids as we can. Mm. And it's not just by paying for their NHIF. Uh, some of them say we don't have... Money to come to Nairobi for treatment. We don't have transport. Mm. Where am I gonna stay? What am I gonna eat? Mm. Especially now with you know um, COVID nineteen, the coronavirus. Um, some counties are on lockdown. Yeah. So Nairobi is one of those count- counties. Yes. Number one, there's no public transport. Mm-hmm. So if they have to come for their treatment from up country, from five eight hundred kilometers away, they How? have to find a way to do it privately. Yeah. They don't have that money. Yeah. Even if they do get here. How Eventually, do they get
0: through, how do they get the Where they're going to
1: stay, mm. um, you know, how they're going to get money for the treatment. Because the government covers, they're doing a good job, mm. but their cover is also limited. They can't yes. cover everything. Yeah. So there, these are the things, like, for example, uh, that they have to pay for out-of-pocket, um, a lot of diagnostic tests, a lot of, you know, things here and there, some medications, or when your insurance for the year runs out. Lapses, yeah. Lapses, or, you know, you've reached or your you've limit. Re- yeah,
0: you've, yeah.
1: You hit your limit, then what happens? So these are some of the issues we try to address and ways we try to help these kids.
0: And you've partnered pretty well with the government because I remember, you know, you guys going for a lot of policy influencing meetings to the point where the government actually decided to start covering some of these treatments for the kids as long as the premiums were paid. And and you've you've done a lot of uh, creating awareness as well and raising funds. Do you have any, like, just rough numbers, how many kids you've helped or families? Um...
1: Up until last year, 2019. uh, I think for 2019, the average number of kids we were supporting on a monthly basis had gone up to about 230. 230
0: children per month. Yes. With 500 shillings per month for the just for the NHIF cover.
1: Yes. Okay. Um, now with coronavirus, there's been a lot of treatment abandonment because yes. either people can't get to the, you know, to the hospital. Well, at some point, even the hospitals money. were not even accessible. Exactly. So right now, we are covering, I think, um, about 130, between 70 to 130 kids per month. Okay. Um, yes, that is that, that 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 is the number that we are covering at the moment. Okay.
0: So. How do we help you help them? How can you be reached? How can we contribute to this very
1: noble cause? Um, we do accept monetary and non-monetary donations. Okay. Okay. Um, We do accept, we, we, you know, we're always looking for volunteers Mm -hmm. to help us with the work that we're doing, Mm -hmm. to run around, Mm -hmm. to go play with the kids. We have an art therapy program that we have every Thursday at Kenyatta National Hospital where we just go in and, you know, Have fun with the kids. Art therapy. Yes, art therapy. Oh, wow. So you allow them to be kids. (laughs) Yes, just allow them to be kids. The same way I wanted to be treated like a normal person. Mm -hmm. These kids are not in school. They're not coloring. They're not painting. They're not making paper mache. They're just stuck in the hospital being Mm -hmm. treated. Mm -hmm. Um, So we thought it would be a good way, number one, to give them something to look forward to. Mm -hmm because it's something that's consistent every Thursday we are there and we play with them and we interact with them and we help them make this wonderful art Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes we even sell this art to raise money for these kids like um, two years ago we had an event called uh, runway against cancer Mm -hmm. and we we partnered with uh, artists and artisans um, to sell art pieces and they gave us a 70 30 split where we would get 70% to go towards, you know, supporting these kids. And the artists, up-and-coming artists, would get 30% of what, you know, the piece was sold for. Oh, wow. Um, So there's a lot of ways you can plug in. The easiest way to find out how you can plug in is mainly to um, get in touch with us. Mm -hmm. We do have an email address. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is info at Um, hopeforcancerkids.org. I-N-F-O at Mm -hmm. the at sign. Mm -hmm hope h o p e for the, the number, number yes number 4 cancerkids.org
0: okay so info at hope number 4 cancerkids.org yes okay
1: i'll i'll i'll
0: when i'm sending out this and putting it on social media i'll i'll, I'll put that up there as well yes. okay so we've come to the end of our program and first of all i just want to say that you you do inspire I know I don't say it enough, but you do inspire me. You you make me want to be a better person. I, I don't even know how, how else to say that because you're a very strong person and you're a very positive person. I mean, I would be the one who'd be like being dramatic and falling all over the place. And you'd be like, no, let's find a way to get through this. What needs to be done? So I really that, like that can-do attitude of yours of what can we do? This has happened. What can we do moving forward? Uh, secondly, I mean just the last thing yeah I I remember thinking you know and I don't know if this is something that I thought or something that we heard where at some point we were told we're not sure based on the treatment and everything you may may never have kids is that something that we were told or is that something I dreamed up
1: yes that is one of the side effects of the treatment that I went through Mm -hmm. Um, number one the radiotherapy number two my specific chemotherapy drug mm-hmm. um, is known to make men sterile, mm. and that was one of the things. But it was, a, by the way, in that first meeting meeting with a doctor, and it's like, yeah, by the way, you might never. But I mean, I was nineteen; mm. that was the last thing on my mind. Mm. It's only later on when um, I remember even having a conversation with my wife, and she was like, "I didn't know that." Oh, and we really? Didn't even have that conversation? Which is <laughs> like, you, you know, know that's, that's, that's a serious like me. thing. That's. And, she, I, it just passed me by I'm and, apologizing never,
0: to her on your behalf I perfectly. never
1: even put it in my head
0: yeah because you you, did, you didn't accept
1: it because I, I, I just knew that you know I'm going to get through this cancer and then you know things are going to be fine Yes. even after getting through it I never thought oh my gosh we'll never have kids because it just wasn't in my mindset yes uh, but yes, I've been blessed with two beautiful daughters Two beautiful daughters um, I think I can hear
0: one of them walking with her loud shoes
1: <laughs> Six and uh, one at yes. the moment Yes um, And it's just another miracle that has come out of it Because, you know, there are all these Oh, this might happen You'll never be able to do this Blah, blah, blah You have a compromised immunity uh, This, this and that, that But for me, it's like, you know It's possible Anything is possible Anything um, And that is one of the wonderful things that, you know, has happened to me. Um, another thing they say is that um, because, of where, um, because of the radiotherapy, um, it did have a significant impact on my hearing.
0: Yes, I um, remember
1: that. A I couple of that. years later, I had a negative effect to the radio- radiation, and um, I lost a significant amount of hearing on my right side. Mm. Um, my left side has always been had issues because at the age of seven, I totally lost hearing on my left side Mm. uh, because I had mumps, a very serious case of mumps. I was treated for malaria. Misdiagnosis um, again. Exactly. And my body reacted to the drugs they were giving me and I lost hearing on my left side. Mm. So even Mm. going back to the diagnosis, that's the one thing that actually made me go into the hospital and and think there's something more serious here. Mm. Because I had all the other symptoms, the nose bleeding, the headaches, Uh, the flu symptoms but i never quite put two and two together and none of them ever worried me seriously enough to say okay there's something bigger here Mm. but when i started losing my hearing that's when i was like okay there's something there's something wrong here
0: and that's because of where the tumor was positioned and it affected your hearing
1: yes because of where the tumor was as it as it was growing it was blocking my hearing passage okay yes all right
0: But you're here, and you can hear, I mean, with with an aid, you know. But you are so positive. That has never stopped you from doing anything.
1: Yes, and just to finish, I was also told that because of that radiation, Mm. and um, because of that particular chemotherapy drug that I used, which had a significant effect, and the radiation has long-term effects, eventually they say I'm going to go completely deaf. That's what they say. That's what they say, but it's not something I, you know, think about. No. Uh, when it did happen to me, um, and I went on the to the Mandela Washington Fellowship, I, I was immersed in the deaf community because you know they ask you on your application, do you have any disabilities? Blah blah blah, partial hearing. Blah. i was like, ah, I don't really, because I don't think of myself as someone with No, and we've never
0: treated you like. And I
1: ticked it, so mm. they put me in a program. At a school for the deaf, like a week earlier than you know, the programme was set to begin. Mm. So I spent a whole week um at this deaf wonderful university called Gallaudet, Gallaudet University. It's in Washington DC. And um it's a deaf university. Mm. So I actually started realizing, you know, even beyond cancer, what happens to the kid who has cancer and is deaf. Yeah. What happens to that person who can't communicate with doctors?
0: What happens to the parent who is deaf and has a child who, is, who has cancer? Exactly. You
1: know. So those are other things I started trying to figure out how are we gonna integrate, you know, that community because the you hearing know,
0: impaired comi- exactly, community with the, exactly,
1: with the cancer community. Exactly, exactly. And because we do have similar needs. Yeah. And there are people, you know, kids who are deaf or who have deaf parents um, who do get cancer. Mm. And cancer also can have a significant impact, depending on the type of cancer and the treatment you undergo, um, can have a significant impact on your hearing. So these are still things I'm trying to think about how to put together. But everything I see, they say I might go deaf. I'm like, okay, what is this thing being deaf? Oh, there's a whole community of deaf people out there. How can we help them? How can I, you know, position myself uh, so that I can be able to serve their needs as well? Mm. So I look at everything as a challenge. Not you might go deaf one day. It's for me like, okay, even if I do, whether I do or don't, I'm here in my life. Yes. Yes. Do I need to learn sign language so I can interpret for these people when they go to the, uh, you know, appointments? Do I need to figure out ways for them to be more included in these discussions Mm -hmm. um, that we are having uh, concerning cancer, concerning disabilities? Um, You know, these are just things I think about. So I take everything almost like a challenge. A lot of people would see some of the things that I've gone through as something negative, but I always look at it in a positive light. And as I said, I would not be who I am today if I had not gone through cancer. I would be a different person. I would would. not be the Sydney I am now. And for me, that makes me stronger. Mm. Yes.
0: I I think you have a lot of uh, qualities, Daddy's qualities in in that aspect. He was a doer. He was a fixer. He was a solution. He, He looked at a problem... In terms of there's a solution to every problem, and we're gonna, and we can find the solution because it's been brought to us, it means that we must have a role to play in the solution. So, I really, really really admire you that way and I just want to say thank you thank you for being on the show thank you for being an inspiration to me uh, thank you for being there for those kids the 200 and something children that you've been helping a month uh, and their families that are affected to the hearing impaired community that you're trying to bring and just thank you for being you thank you for being an amazing father I've seen you with your girls Um, they are so adorable. I've seen you with your wife. You're an amazing husband, at least in my, you know, I'm your sister. I can, I can say a lot of things. So, but just thank you for being you. And, and again, Beverly speaks is about, uh, creating a safe space where we can have discussions, um, have difficult discussions. Ask thought-provoking questions, find solutions, and know that truly you are enough. So I want to say thank you for coming to Beverly Speaks, and definitely you are the definition of "I am enough." So I want you to say it with me: "I am enough." I am enough <laughs> because you are. <laughs> and thank you to all our listeners out there, to the audience. You guys are amazing. we I'm gonna put out any information. I'm gonna put out information about hope for cancer kids and and uh, about Sydney if you want to get in touch with him, if you want to give towards this amazing cause. And we're going to continue to tell stories of uh, hope and inspiration to motivate you and to tell you that, you know what? What did he say? That uh, if there's a problem out there, there's a solution to it. And, And you can find the solution to whatever problem you're facing. So thank you for listening in. This is episode two of season one. And you are enough. This is Beverly Speaks. Signing off. Ciao.